stand tonight. Let's uh, sing this old hymn of the church. It simply says, I'll fly away. For those joining online, we welcome you to church this evening. And I hope that you are uh, ready to receive something from the Lord tonight. Father, Lord, we welcome you in this place this evening. 
Father, we know that you are great and greatly to be praised. Father, we are, Lord, thank you for the spirit of the Lord we felt in service this morning. Lord, even more so, we welcome your spirit back in this place tonight. And Lord, let these songs of worship that are sung to you, God, bring encouragement to this body of believers. And maybe there are some joining us online right now. Maybe they're sick and they're not able to be here tonight. But Lord, we're asking that your spirit will permeate and penetrate their hearts and their, the room they're in right now. Let them feel the Shekinah glory weight uh, coming down, the weight of glory upon them right now, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you, in every song that's sung, every note that is played, and Lord, every message that is given, it will bring glory and honor to you. And we will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. The people of God together said amen. Amen. Let's continue worshiping this evening. Lord, 
just sing this together. We sing through it all. Yes, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. Or I've learned. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all. Sing it again through it all, through it all. Yes, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. Oh, I've learned, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, through it all. Lord, I've learned to depend upon His word. I've learned to depend upon, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Oh, I've learned to depend, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Are you thankful you can trust the Lord <laughs> through it all? I'm thankful that I can trust the Lord through it all. As we said this morning, and I'd say it again tonight, there's a lot of people got stuff going on. Amen. Not just sickness. I mean, sickness is one of them, but there's a whole plethora of needs. I mean, we've got the Craven family who's battling COVID. We've got Carlson family on quarantine from exposures. We've got others who are battling sicknesses. Brother Robert, thankfully, is back, but he just got off of it. This world is crazy right now with all this stuff going on. Brother Dennis testified that this morning in band practice, thankfully there's nothing major wrong with him. They, they took him to the doctor to check on some stuff he was coughing up and things like that. And they said everything else looks good, so we don't know where it's coming from. So that's we praise God for, but he still got it, so that's still there. Brother Stan is at home today, still battling his sinus and coughing and gagging and all this stuff that comes with this mess. When I called them at 4 o'clock this afternoon on my way back to the office, Miss Brenda was still in the bed after she had went home this morning and didn't even get up. She's been in the bed all day long. With dizziness and vertigo type symptoms. 
you've ever had to wear, had the room spinning, that's a rough feeling. When you know you're stationary, but everything in the room's moving, <laughs> that'll mess you up. You're like Brother Marion Six. Yeah, I do believe. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist in terms of I'm looking for a, a devil under every rock kind of thing. I'm not like that. But I will say this. Sometimes I do think the devil unleashes some things to discourage the body of Christ. You know, when I looked at the record of what was going to be out today before church ever started, I knew of a bunch of people already going to be out for sicknesses. I'll be honest with you. I thought this morning, oh, God. We should just have a prayer line again, just have prayer meeting and leave. That's all we should be doing because there ain't going to be enough of us in there to worry about it at that point. I thought about that last night on my way home, and the Spirit of the Lord kind of quickened my heart. It's like, well, I only had 12 go with me, and one of them was a bad apple. So I really only had 11 guys on my side. If you got more than 11 coming tomorrow, you're doing better than I was doing. And then he quickened my spirit about the scripture I quoted this morning, but if only two or three show up. If they gather in my name, I'll be there. So who else did you want to be there if I'm there? Then I felt like a bad person for even questioning it. Let me just tell you how good God is. We had countless of people out. And yet, it's always like God to just prove he's still in control. With all the people that were out today, all the sicknesses and all the stuff going on, still 42 people showed up for church today. And I got hundreds. Yeah, give God praise for that. We've we've got countless numbers of people not here. If just two families that are out sick would have been here this morning, we'd have been almost at 56 people just because they're large families. Whatever reason. Financially, God blessed us this week as well. But there are still people in our sphere of influence, as I talked about this morning with the power strip. There's still people in our sphere of influence. They need God to touch them tonight. For Mary and James not to go to work, that's bad. That's bad. I mean, he ever so often might take a day off just because they've worked him 80 hours a week or he wants to come to a church service. But for him to not go to work or church at the same day, (laughs) that's a bad day at the office. There's some people you probably gonna get in trouble for saying this. There's some people you you don't they they don't come enough. You don't know what their excuse is for why they don't come to church. Sometimes you just think, well, that's just one of it was just their week to be out this week. They they just drew it out the hat and this was their week. But some people, if they're not there, you know it's a problem. They're like faithful as, as clock. They you know they they're there all the time. You know, but I still do believe that God is a healer. I do. I believe we could be here at 6.30 tonight standing in this auditorium. And Mary and James and Stan and Brenda Frierson and April Craven, Carlson family and Brother Chambers and others can be sitting somewhere in their house right now. Don't even have a clue what time it is. Maybe not even watching. And we can pray for them. And something can walk into the, not something, someone can walk into the room with them. And it won't be their spouse. It won't be their kids won't be a grandchild it won't be a human it'll be the Lord and when he walks into the room it's not going to matter what's going on because everybody else that's in the room is going to be put on notice the great physician just walked into the room and when he walks into the room no matter how many prednisone, Z-packs prescription drugs that are in the room when he gets done prescribing his medicine 
all that other stuff's going to fail in comparison because he touches us in a way no other drug can touch us. We've got proof in this house today of people that have overcome COVID, overcome sicknesses, have overcome. I know like Sister Dale's got, I believe this week, another shot coming up uh, to infusion shot to help with this pain in her, her back and her legs. I believe when that shot takes this time, it can take real good, real good. Not just for a couple days, I mean real good. And the doctor might be like, oh, yeah, see, I told you we'd take enough of them injections at work. No, no, we can just say, no, God worked this time. God worked. There are countless others on this stage that have had other things coming up. Dennis has some heart uh, appointments coming up. I believe he can walk in there and that doctor can be like, yeah, I don't even know why I'm seeing you. You look pretty good, man, because God's good. People like Brother Robert Powers are back. People like Sister Patricia. I told her Sister Patricia this morning. It was so good to see her walk through the doors of church. You don't realize how much you miss people when they're not here. You get, you just comes like an old hat, old shoe almost. You just, Sister Patricia's always here. So you just don't really think too much. You're like, oh, she'll be here in just a minute. Be, and when she's out for a couple weeks, you're like, wow. It's really a difference maker when those people are not here. It brings such a ray of joy and light. You see. Even today, we had visitors come. You see people all the time looking for something. I don't know if they're looking for a church or what, but they're looking for something. They, they visit on Sunday morning. They're looking, <laughs> okay, because they know that's when the best of the best is supposed to be happening. So they're obviously inquisitive about what Sunday morning's like around the church. But I do believe, and we're getting ready to pray for these needs. I do believe the scripture says if two of any two or three things agree is touching any one thing, he's in the midst. But I also agree we got to have the faith to believe he can do it. Because sometimes I think it's not a lack of ability on God's part. It's a lack of faith on our part. And oftentimes, God's wanting to dispense it. We just don't believe he will, so he doesn't do it because we don't believe it. The Bible says you ask and you shall receive. You seek, you shall find you knock the doors open. But you've got to ask in faith, believing he's going to do it. Now, it may not happen as soon as Miss Sherry gets home, but that don't mean when Brother Mary wakes up in the morning and gets up in the morning after a full night's rest, he don't feel better than he did today. might happen over in the night. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know it could happen. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray together. You don't have to know what every need is. We've got plenty of them. <laughs> Pick one. Sister... Uh, Alma was telling me just tonight that at her church, they have a funeral this week for Brother Weaver. For those of you who don't know who Brother Weaver is, he is the one that owned the carpet store there in Goose Creek. Any of this carpet you see in this building came from his distribution center. In fact, for those of you that remember back about two years ago when we had to rip this stage up because the divider was here and we didn't have enough room and we didn't have enough carpet to fix it because of the situation so we had to build a stage back together. Brother Hart had to come in and cut it out. We had to re- We didn't have carpet that matched. And we took a sample, got a sample book from Super Carpets there and brought it here, carpet store there. And we laid it on the carpet. Some of you ladies sat in this carpet this, in that front row right there and helped us figure out what's the closest we could match this carpet to. We went to that location, and Brother Weaver's staff gave us an incredible deal, came in, got it put down. That fine gentleman, soldier of the cross, he's won his race. He's finished his course. He's kept the faith. Now he's in the presence of the Lord. He's, he's done what he was called to do. It wasn't about selling carpet anymore. Now he's resting at the feet of Jesus. 
for all the years that he's blessed churches and others, now he gets to be blessed in the presence of the Lord. But there's a family that's left behind that is hurt and sad. Hearts are broken. Many of you in this building have experienced that. Some of us have experienced it over the last year, year and a half. We've experienced loss together. God's brought us through, but that doesn't still mean we didn't feel the pain or the hurt. Some of you have been through COVID, you've overcome it, but that doesn't mean that others don't need to have the same story that you had and they overcome it. What is a church, what good is it to have a church family if we don't operate like a church family? It's always good to be on mountaintops together, but sometimes some folks are in the valleys and we got to go down there and help them get back up on the mountain with us. Sometimes we got to go down there and get them. Be like, hey, you can't get it, I'll come pick you up and you can go with me. Before we break the bread of life, can we just, if you can remember all the requests, praise the Lord. If you can't, you can just say, God, you know the need. The Bible said he knows what we have need of even before we ask or think it, according to his word. So can we pray for these requests today? Heavenly Father, there are many people in our sphere of influence, our families, our friends, our loved ones, People in our church family, people connected to our church family, they are struggling today. God, people like Mary and James needs a supernatural touch in his body. People like Brenda and Stan Frierson need touches in their bodies from vertigo and dizziness to sinus infections. People like Dennis Clark needs touch in his body with all this croup and crud and things like that and upcoming heart doctor appointments people like sister Dale Clark needs infusion shots to take take effect and work to give relief in back and legs and joints she needs relief from pain people like the Weaver family needs the comforting presence of a Holy Spirit to wrap his arms around them and keep them in the days and hours that they are getting ready to face by the homegoing Brother Weaver. God, people like the Carlson family need a touch. People like the Craven family battling COVID need a touch. David and Amber Fultz needs a touch today. God, people like Gil and Sybil M. Ryan need a touch from you today. People like Jordy Roselle's father, Brother David, needs a touch from you today. God, there's so many people that are struggling. God, people like Riley James needs a touch for an upcoming surgery on a hip. It's going to be a long journey. But it's a journey she doesn't have to walk alone. Because God's with her. God, our young people need a touch. Many of them are facing all kinds of challenges right now. They need strength. They need wisdom. They need, God, direction. The Holy Spirit leading them. God, there are many in our church that are facing challenging times financially. And they're also in their marriages. Their marriages are on the rocks. God, some of their own family members are literally on the brink of dying if they don't change course of action and behaviors that they have for years engaged in. Doctors have told them, you either stop it or you're going to die. They have a choice to make. And only you can help them make that choice. 
People like Robert Chambers needs a touch. People like Bonnie Gunn with cancer that has upcoming appointments and results from cancer. God, they need a touch. God, there might have been visitors in this house today that needed God to touch them. God, there might be people that are not in church right now. Maybe they're on the computer watching us from a different location. Maybe they don't even claim this to be their church, but they need a touch in their body or in their family or in their life. God, I'm reminded of the story where the prophet of God saw the fire fall, but you weren't there. You saw the thunder crashing and the the lightning flashing and the thunder rolling, and you weren't there. He saw the earth quake and tremble, and yet you weren't there. But in the stillness and quietness of a voice, he heard you call his name. Not every service is a shout. Not every service is a running of the aisles. Not every service is a euphoric experience. Sometimes it's the quietness of the moment with you that is so sweet and so surreal. Father, I'm asking right now, before we break the bread of life, can you can you bring peace that surpasses all human understanding? God, people like people like Aaron or Coulter needs a touch today. God, there's some things internally she's raging war against. Mindsets and mentalities that she's fighting. The if you will, proverbial demons and skeletons in, in the mind. Lord, there's, there's some challenges she's facing. But God, you're a God of overcoming power. God, there are some potential opportunities that lie ahead, last-ditch efforts to have a baby. But you can let it take this time. You can let it work this time. She needs... She may not even know right now. We're praying for her. But she can feel your presence walk into a room. Wherever she is right now. Her husband comes home from his travel assignment. He walks through the door together. They can feel a peace of God that surpasses human understanding. And bring them safely through. God, I pray today that if there is any others in here, heaviness of heart that your spirit would speak to their heart in this moment and you would keep them and you would guide them and forever protect them and father these requests petitions we commit into your hands because we know all good and perfect gifts come from above from the father of light who sends them down and we know that we can't do anything without you as we learned this morning so God we commit it to you because you're the only one who can make a difference in them and we forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that's due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. The book of Exodus, chapter number 14. Those joining online, we are so glad to have you in service with us today. Mm. Exodus chapter 14. We're going to begin reading in verse number 10. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. 
Exodus chapter 14, verse number 10. We're going to read a little bit. I always believe God's word speaks better for itself than I do. I don't need to tell you, well, I think this is what God said when his word already said it. Just read what it said. Exodus 14 and 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were coming after them. And they were afraid. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Then they said to Moses, So what, because there were no graves in Egypt? You've decided to take us away into this wilderness to die? Wherefore hast thou dealt us with this, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell you in Egypt? Did we not tell you, let us alone, leave us alone? You ever had somebody walk in a room just to, and they just tell you, leave me alone? My mother is one of those people. My mother is sick. She does not want company. My dad wants to be pampered, primed, and babied. My dad wants to be treated like a king, weighed on hand and foot. He stubs his toe. He's out for a week. It's the truth. It's the truth. My mom, my mom had fukes in her eyes and had to have literally major eye constructive surgery. Thankfully, she doesn't have to wear glasses anymore, but I had to have total, basically, cornea transplant. I was wearing a patch, went home, laid down for ten, down for a couple hours, got back up. And the daughter said, yeah, she had to get up some and be strenuous, got back up. And she was like, yeah, i got things to do. I ain't got time to be laying around like this. Some people, they just want to be left alone. The children of Israel said, Moses, did we not tell you, leave us alone? That we might serve the gods of the Egyptians. We were doing better there. We had food. We had shelter. It wasn't perfect, but at least it was something. You brought us out here to kill us. What's wrong with you? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should not die in this room. Is what they're saying is we were better off as slaves as we were as free men. It would be better to keep us in slavery. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand still and see salvation of the Lord which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today you shall see them again no more forever the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace what Moses is saying just stand here you don't have to do nothing you don't have to save them God will save them you don't have to change them. God will change them. You don't have to work. You let God save the lost spouse. You let God lead your children. You let God direct your children. You don't have to worry about it. Give them over to God and let God handle it from there. Hold your peace. The Lord said to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? The Lord said, Why are you crying unto me? Speak to the children of Israel and tell them, Keep going. Look what it says, that they go forward. God said, "Why are you, I told you I'd take you out of the land of Egypt. Why are y'all stopping talking to me about it? Keep going. Stop belly aching and keep moving. Sounds just like my mother. Quit whining about it. Get over it. Move on. Then God said to Moses, lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and part it. The children of Israel will go on dry ground even through the midst of the sea. 
And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They shall follow them, and I will give, and it, I will get honor upon Pharaoh, upon his host, upon his chariots, upon the riders of his horses. The Egyptians shall know that I am God when I have gotten more honor than Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horses. And the angel of the Lord went before the camp of Israel. He removed and he went behind them. The pillar of cloud went before their face, now stood behind them and protected them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and it was darkness unto them. But it gave light by night, the moon, the stars, to Israel. So that the one came not near the other at night. Meaning the Egyptians couldn't see what was going on on the other side of the cloud. But Israel could see where they needed to go. Moses stretched his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea a dry land. And the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were as a wall to them on their left hand and on their right hand. Tonight I want to talk to you about this idea. Problems, plagues, and pathways. Problems, plagues, and pathways. Father, I pray you would bless the reading of your word. Help us to not only be hearers, but doers of it thereof. Let this word resonate in our heart. And for that, we will never give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that's due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you listen fast, I'll preach fast, and we'll get out of here because I know everybody's trying to get home to the Super Bowl. That's why half of the people ain't here tonight. I should have had a Super Bowl. We should have just came here and had soup after church, and you could have had it in a bowl. So it would have been Super Bowl. Uh, but uh, we didn't do that today. This thought has been in my mind for quite some time, and I had had it in notes in my phone. For those of you who don't know me, I forget things sometimes, so I put notes in my phone to remind me of something, because if I don't, I'm going to forget about it. Now, I know none of y'all ever forget anything, but uh, I do sometimes. I know none of y'all has ever had, you know, your husband or your wife, or in my case, fiance, ever say, well, I told you about it, and you go, yeah, no, you didn't. And they're like, oh, yeah, I did, I promise, I told you about it. And you're like, yeah, I remember that. The person saying that they told you about it, they're pretty confident they told you about it and you forgot about it. The person that forgot about it is pretty confident they didn't know nothing about it because they didn't forget it because they don't remember what you talked about. It's a mess. This story that I just read to you, before I can get to the crux of what I just read to you, I need to back you up for just a minute. Maybe there's someone online who doesn't really know the word of the Lord as well, but I need, to, I need to tell you where this story begins. This story does not start in Exodus. The story begins in Genesis. In Genesis. Because in Genesis, we are introduced to a man by the name of Abram. Abram is therefore a man who falls in love with a woman named Sarah, or Sarai at the time. Abram and Sarah, Sarai, were commissioned by God by a voice from heaven to leave the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, their homeland, and to travel towards a land flowing with milk and honey, a land they knew not of. 
In fact, the Bible talks about Abraham searched for a city whose builder and maker was the Lord. He was searching for a place that human hands had never built before. And Abram and Sarai, along with Abram's father, left out of Ur with a nephew named Lot. You know the story. Abraham and Lot separate. Lot goes towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham stays in, in the other part of the land and Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. Lot's wife turns into a pillar of salt. We know that Abraham gets ahead of God, has a mistress or an assistant, if you will. I don't know about y'all. I'm just going to take a minute, but I'm getting kind of hot, so I'm going to take this jacket off. I know it's undignified, but I'm getting a little warm in here. And uh, so i just letting you know, um, I, would, I would prefer not to have showered tonight in my suit before I take a shower tonight. Here's the bottom line. Abram, after all this happened, Abram gets ahead of God. He goes in and has relations with Sarah's mistress, Hagar, has a baby boy named Ishmael. But that was not God's plan. God took Abram outside. He told him to show him the stars in the sky. Told him to count the stars. And he said, as many as Abraham says, I can't count them. And God said, I know. That's how your descendants will be. You'll never be able to count. They'll be as, as numerous as the sand on a seashore. Three men come and visit Abram, I think around Genesis chapter 18. Three men come to visit Abram. And they promise him he's going to have a baby. Abraham, Abram at the time is like, yeah, right. Sarah's in a tent laughing going, yeah, right. But in the fullness of time, we know what happens. A baby boy is brought into the world, and he is named the son of laughter or the son of laughing, called Isaac. Isaac is born. God changes the name of Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. When Abram, Abraham is dying, Sarah's already died. Abraham is dying. He has married a, another lady, a name of Keturah. Abram's on his deathbed, and he tells his trusted servant, I do not want Isaac to marry a woman that does not believe like we believe. You go to my, my family, you go to my, our kindred folk, the other Jews, and you, you find him a wife, and he sends him off. When they're a little bit of ways, they get there, and he meets a woman by the name of Rebecca. Isaac has never met her. This servant goes in and he talks to Rebecca's parents and he asks for her hand in marriage and she finally agrees and she comes back. And the Bible says when she just was far off that she jumped off the camel and she put the veil over her face because she finally saw Isaac for the first time. They were married. Isaac and Rebecca have some children. The oldest brother is named Esau. He was a red-headed, hairy man's man. He liked to hunt and fish and shoot bows and arrows and kill game and cook it and roast it and fillet it and slice it and dice it. I mean, he was a man's man. He was one of those rugged, you know, upper, upper, you know, uh, mountain men kind of thing, gruff kind of beard. I mean, you didn't mess with him in a dark alley on a bad night. I mean, he'd take you out. Rough man. And then there was pretty boy Jacob. He was the star of the football team. He was clean-shaved. His hands had never touched oil a day in its life. Those things were so slick, the baby's bottom wasn't as smooth as his hands. 
I mean, he was a mama's boy. He could go in the kitchen. He could make you the best Zupa Toscana soup from an Olive Garden that you've ever eaten in your life. You thought he was a chef. As soon as he saw flour, as soon as he saw a mess in the kitchen, he's win. He's got the Clorox wipes and he's cleaning it all up. He's got all that stuff going on. I mean, he's just killing it. Life's going great. Everything's going great. And and he would always get frustrated when Esau would come into his nice clean house with his dirty clothes, throw them in the floor that smelled like, you know. You know, something that you'd find outside a skunk had sprayed. And he was like, I just cleaned these floors. They were a little opposite from each other. Well, Jacob ends up selling out the birthright and convincing his father to give it to him. And you know the story. Esau gets mad and they all take off running. And he goes to his uncle's house. He meets a girl by the name of Rachel. Oh, Rachel's a pretty girl. He says, I'll work for seven years. To marry your daughter. Rachel's daddy says, well, Man, that's a pretty good trade off. Seven years for her. Wow, I'll take that bet. Seven years roll around. You know, Jacob, the supplanter or the deceiver that he was, he goes into his honeymoon on the first night because in Jewish culture you kept the veil on the whole time until you went in to have relations with your spouse. He goes in, and the next morning when he wakes up, he is horrified to realize he is now married to lazy-eyed Leah. This is not who he thought he was getting. She's looking at him, one eye's going one way and the other eye's going another way, and he's like, look me in the eyes, and neither one of them are looking at him. He's just in trouble. He goes back, and he says, something's wrong with this picture. I asked for Rachel. He's like, hey, you know, listen, you can't marry the oldest, youngest daughter before the oldest daughter. And Jacob's like, well, I still want her. Bible says, he said, all right, work seven years. So now he's going to work 14 years. He was so desperate, he did it anyway. He worked 14 years. He must have loved her to work that long for a girl. Shoot, if I work 14 years and you ain't made a commitment by then, you got, listen, if I work two years and you haven't made a commitment by then, I'm going to save my other 12 years and do something different with them. Hello? <laughs> Praise Jesus. But God blessed him. He made Leah's womb fruitful. Eventually, it closes, and so she gives him her mistress. And Rachel couldn't have one, so she gives a mistress. Finally, God opens up the womb of Rachel. She has a baby boy by the name of Joseph. He was the apple of his daddy's eye. His daddy loved him so much, he made him a coat of many colors. One day, we know the story, Joseph goes out to check on his brothers. He gets beat up by his brothers, as only siblings can do. They throw him in a pit. They sell him off. They rip his jacket they tell daddy he's dead they put animals blood all over it Jacob is sold to slave I mean Joseph is sold to slave traders he ends up in Egypt he gets bought by a guy by the name of Potiphar Potiphar takes him in the captain of Pharaoh's army takes him to his house God blesses Joseph he finds favor he becomes the headmaster of the whole house except for the food that Potiphar ate he didn't know what was going on unless Joseph did it one thing led to another Mrs. Potiphar thought Joseph was pretty attractive she wants Mr. Joseph Joseph's like, no, ma'am, that's not cool. She accuses him of rape. He goes, Potiphar gets mad. He goes to jail. He finds favor in jail. Becomes head of the, the inmates, if you will. Teaches them how to read and write and do all that kind of stuff. He tells two guys, one the butler, one the baker, that there's coming a day that Pharaoh is going to restore one of them. The other one, well, buddy, hate to tell you, but you're going to get killed. And it comes to pass. The cupbearer is restored. The baker is He's excommunicated, and he's no longer and uh, taken care of. Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. All of a sudden, Pharaoh, 
They remind Pharaoh of, oh, there's this guy in prison who's really good at this. He summons jo Joseph. Joseph shaves. He cleans up, puts on nice clothes. He goes. He says, it's not I who can tell you the dream, but God. He tells him there'll be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. The dreams are one and the same. He said, there's no one who else in Egypt can be as smart as this guy. Let's change his name to Zaphnath Paneah, the revealer of dreams. And they, they give him Pharaoh's signet ring, and he becomes... Second, he comes second in command of Egypt. He summons for his daddy, Jacob, and all his brothers. They come. They have a big, glorious family reunion. And uh, you talk about a, a time uh, that, that to, there would ever have been uh, a time to celebrate. They come. They're all crying. It's a big boo-hoo event. And everybody's crying and loving on each other. It's like a giant family reunion. Everybody's having a good time. Joseph's taking care of everybody. Jacob dies. They take him back to Israel to be buried. Joseph's getting ready to die. He tells his brothers, his children of his brothers, and said, don't let me live, die here, and be buried here. You take me back to the homeland too. Even though I've been an Egyptian longer than I've been a Hebrew, I want to go home. They pack him up. The Bible talks about they take his bones. They take him out with them. But there's a problem. Joseph's bones didn't get taken out immediately when he died. Because after he died, a Pharaoh came into power, the Bible said, who did not know Joseph. And at that point, the children of Israel had multiplied like grasshoppers, the Bible said. And he was afraid of them. Here's where the problem kicks in. Pharaoh, this, this years leading up to Joseph, had nothing to... You know, Joseph was just a good guy. A famine hit. He took care of everybody. And what was it? One time an incredible family reunion led to an insecure nation. What should have been an exciting time turned into a sketchy time. Because this nation that should have looked at Israel as an asset, they come here, they've joined forces with us, they've helped us, they got us out of a famine, they got us out of a, a bad situation, they came over here and saved us from all dying and saving the whole world from dying. They should have been thankful, but instead of being thankful and grateful, they become unthankful and not grateful. Can I tell you we're living in a nation right now where we should be more thankful and grateful for the mercies of God, but we act like we are unthankful and not grateful. Pharaoh says to his leadership team, if we don't do something about it, they're going to take us over. They're going to overthrow us. An incredible family reunion turns into an insecure nation. Years ago, the United States was a feared nation. We were a great nation. But over the years, because of our own insecurities in ourselves, if you will, and our own pride and arrogance, you know, pride goes before destruction, the hardest before, in our own attempts to be great and wonderful and, 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 and incredible, <laughs> we lost something along the way. We lost our identity of who we are. We became insecure. So what did we start doing? We started trying to overtake nations and do different things. Why? Because we're trying to still prove we're big and bad. Right now, we're trying to use diplomacy to save our own selves from getting attacked while Russia stands at the border of Ukraine and says, we dare you to cross. We're coming across and anybody who wants to get involved, we'll be glad to use you too. Literally on Fox News just this morning, the current sitting president of the United States had an over an hour and a half phone 
teleconference conversation with the leader of Russia. And you know what got resolved? Nothing. Russia said, come on if you think you're something. In our own face. Defying us at our own game. See, what had happened is, our own insecurities has left us now scrambling to survive. Because Pharaoh was not a good leader, and his own securities led to him trying to, if you will, not only uh, enslave a nation and cripple it, he literally was trying to create world dominance. Today we call it socialism. Socialism is there's a leader that's afraid of free enterprise, and he's afraid that he won't still be the dominant person, so he creates socialism so that you're dependent on him, rather, and he doesn't have to get removed from office. That's what socialism is in a nutshell. See, people who don't like free enterprise and free trade, it's people who are afraid to lose power. Because you know what diplomacy and you know what dem de uh, democracy is? It's about freedom of choice. But we don't live in a nation anymore where they want you to have freedom of choice because it cripples. Because if you have freedom of choice, that might mean you can vote them out of office. There are people that are literally trying their best to die, if you will, in their Senate seats and in their congressional districts and seats. They're so old that they can't even hardly walk, but they won't give it up because they're afraid of what somebody else might do in their seat. That's insecurity. An insecure nation. Joseph dies. Israel is enslaved. But Abraham was told years earlier that his family would be enslaved. Upon the death of Joseph, for about 350 years, all the nation of Israel has known for about 350 years after the death of Joseph, was slavery and captivity. After about 350 years, give or take, a baby is born. A couple. And by this point, Pharaoh has made a decree. There's too many babies. What a sad thing to say. There are too many babies. Pharaoh has said, if it's a female, let them live, because then we can make them wives and produce more Egyptian babies. But if it's a Hebrew male, you kill them. You throw them in the Nile. You drown them. You kill. You 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 stab them. You do anything to do. You just kill the babies. They're male. A leader of a world dominant society is afraid of what the next generation might be able to do to him. So instead of facing the facts of the potential of them being an asset to his kingdom and being a great ambassador for his kingdom, he's more afraid of what the next generation will be like, so he would rather wipe out the next generation so he can stay in office. And in this moment in time, he keeps the ladies so that they can produce more Egyptian children. Can I tell you, Brother James, in this body, that's what we've done in America. We're afraid of the next generation of leaders, not just global and economic and political leaders, but even church leaders. We do our best in the nation that we live in now to tear down people and to trot on them and to enslave on them. I can't tell you how I many, just this past week, uh, over the last three weeks, 
the Church of God has had Winterfest all over. We've had it in T Tennessee last weekend. They had it in Branson, Missouri this past, this weekend. And they had it in uh, Maryland two weekends ago. And they've been all over the place, got one or two more, um, one in Texas and some other places that they still have to go. There's a reason that there are 15-year-olds getting pregnant out of wedlock. Because there's a devil trying to take out a generation and to enslave them and cripple them. You know how hard it is to sit in algebra 2 and have to have a baby beside you? That's because you're now enslaved. You're in bondage. You're crippled by the devil. But you know what the world would tell them to do? Don't tell nobody, but kill it. Don't let it be your problem. Because we're afraid of the next generation and what the next generation will do. So we would rather get rid of them. Come on, somebody. Then keep them. We call it Roe v. Wade. It's a woman's right. It's a woman's decision. But what's interesting to me is while it's a woman's decision, it's not a baby that gets a choice in the matter. But what's funny is when the roles are reversed, well, the mom should have the decision to make. But yet when it's convenient, the baby has rights. Well, if it doesn't have rights to make its own, to, to choose or to have life, the ability to live, then how can it have rights at certain times? If you kill the baby, you're not charged with murder. But if you kill a mom who's pregnant, you get charged with double homicide. Explain that to me. Mama can take out the baby and she can walk out free. I take out a pregnant woman. I'm going to jail for two counts of felony murder. Makes sense to you? Because it didn't to me. But in the United States, Pharaoh started this hundreds of years ago. And he made a decree to wipe out an entire nation. How many Billy Grahams, D.L. Moody's, Billy Sundays, Mother Teresa's, how many pastors, how many evangelists, how many song leaders, how many children's churches, how many leaders have been lost possibly because we as a nation said they're more of a nuisance and a hassle to us than to deal with, so let's just get rid of them. Now, I know it's not going to be popular. I know some people will say, well, pastor, sometimes a young girl might be taken advantage of by a guy and this, that, and the other, and then in some extreme cases, that happens. But can I tell you something? Just be frank with you tonight. Most of the decisions, the reason they're pregnant is because they made a choice. It wasn't they were taken advantage of. It takes two to tango. And oftentimes, if you didn't want the baby, then you should have stayed out of the bedroom. I'm just going to tell you like it is. Because here's the bottom line. Most of the time, it wasn't someone, they want all, you know, I've heard people say, oh, well, he took advantage of me. And then after you start talking to him and getting to fill, fill out a little bit more about it, the more and more she started dressing in a way that made him think that she was interested. She started acting. She started engaging. She was trying to get, before they hit the home run, she was all over third base trying to hit a triple with him. Well, if you should have stopped at first base way before you got to third base so he never knew how to get a home run, the problem is you let him all the way to home plate. What did you think he was going to do when you got there? That's the problem. We're in a society. There's a lot of problems in our world. Pharaoh says, kill the babies. Just like we say in America. 350 years of this. 
But thank God for godly parents that still trust God in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of problems. We've coined this phrase, hope, hold on, pandemics in, hold on, problems in, hold on, God's promises are eternal. Thank God for godly people who will still hold on to God in the midst of problems. Because there is a faithful couple, and I'm not going to get through this message, I'll pick it up next week. There, there is a faithful couple by the name of Amram, Jochebed. Well, Jochebed in English and Hebrew would be Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed get pregnant. They already have an older son named Aaron and an older daughter named Miriam. But they were alive before all this decree happened. But Jacobed got pregnant with a baby boy. He should have been killed. Except Mama thinks outside the box, literally. She said he's going to die either way, but I'm going to give him a fighting chance. She takes her newborn baby boy and she puts, she weaves a basket. I've always been amazed. I've lived in Charleston my whole life. I love to go down to the market. I see those ladies sitting down there that can take a bunch of seagrass and make the, I mean, they sell them baskets like they're way more expensive than my kidneys. I mean, they got three, four hundred dollars off of just making baskets out of grass. I'm like, shoot, I need to go into a different profession. I can, you know, you make more money with a lot of grass. You can roll grass, smoke it and make more money. You can make grass and make baskets out of it and make more money. Man, I didn't know grass was so profitable. I'm in the wrong profession. I should have been in the fertilization business. They make these baskets. People buy them all over. People travel. All, people come from Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Georgia, buying all our baskets from our grass. I'm like, go down to the river and pick out some grass. Make your own baskets. Go on out of here. We can't even eat at dinner because there's too many of y'all. Go home. I hate the Azalea Festival. I'm just going to let y'all know I hate that thing. I love, I love the fact that I can walk down the street and see vendors, but then when I go to Cracker Barrel and the lady tells me it's a two-and-a-half-hour wait, I'm thinking, half of y'all don't even live here. Go home. I can't even eat dinner because of you people. Ain't that many of y'all down here? Moses' mama makes a basket out of the papyrus and the, the, the Nile grass. She takes tar, the Bible calls it pitch, and she seals it so it won't leak. She literally makes a homemade bassinet. Ms. Carol, you can make your way. I'm not going to finish tonight. She makes a bassinet. And she lays this baby in this bassinet. Homemade. She puts a lid over it. Probably has a little bit of holes or something in the top just for breathing. And she makes the hardest decision that I think any mother could make. Letting go of their child. But here's the difference that Jacobed made versus the rest of Egypt. Brother James, the rest of Egypt was killing their babies. This mama was giving a fighting chance. She knew maybe I can't raise it, but I'm going to give it a fighting chance. In today's society, we call it adoption. The Bible says, according to the Apostle Paul, we've been given the ability to be adopted by God, to be called sons, adopted sons of the Father, the sons of adoption. Where we can cry out, Abba, Father. We've been adopted into the family of God. We're not God's son, but we've been adopted like his own children. 
She realized, I can't raise this baby, but this baby is a leader. This baby could be a, a great military uh, general. This baby could be a world phenomenon. This baby has potential. She wouldn't kill the baby. She gave the baby a chance. I've often told people a lot. There's hundreds of people in this world that have been trying so hard to have babies that can't. While so many people that can have babies are getting rid of them in an alarming clip. And I'm going to be honest with you all. I've asked God many times, God, I don't get it. I don't get how some people are begging God to have a child. They want it so bad. They love it. They would take care. They're dying to have a child internally so bad. And yet you got other people that can get pregnant almost by just drinking water. And they'll get rid of it like it's nothing but a thing. I've often said, God, why don't you switch the roles? They don't want them. Don't let them have them. I don't understand sometimes the ways of God. But I'm going to tell you one of the things I have got the privilege of seeing before, and it is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, is gotcha day. It is the day that someone gets adopted, but they finally become family to somebody else. They got a chance. They might not be the biological parents, but they become the spiritual parents. And, and in this term, surrogate parents. And raise them as their own child and love them to the faith. Gotcha day. It's celebrated all over the world. National Adoption Day. See, that means somebody had a baby they didn't couldn't take care of, but they gave that baby a fighting chance. I wish that instead of having three or four or five abortion clinics all over town, let's have three or four adoption centers over town. Somebody out there wants a baby. You know it costs more to adopt a baby than it does to kill a baby? You can get rid of a baby via abortion. Your insurance will cover abortion, but it will not cover adoption. Explain that to me. That's where we live in. Problems. That's where we live in. She sends this baby down the river. And part of her heart floats down that river. Before we dismiss, I'll tell you this to set up for next week. She saw that baby get lost in the weeds of the Nile and float out of sight. How do I know this? Because she tells her daughter, follow it and see where he ends up. Even though the mama had to let go of her baby, the baby never got out of that mama's heart. Can I tell you, no matter how far you run from God, you never God. Back on him, you can lose sight of him. You can turn your back on him and say, I don't want nothing to do with you. You might not even be able to see God in your situation. But God's looking down from heaven. He knows exactly where you are because you can't get out of his heart. He wants to know where you are. You might think you're out of sight, but God hasn't lost sight of you. (laughs) Miriam follows this baby. We'll pick up there next week, but I want to stop here at this point and say this. One of the beautiful things about this story that we'll pick up next week and to talk about the rest of this message is the fact that with one woman's faith, it's an act of faith to watch your child go out of sight and you have nothing to do with it. One woman's faith would lead to a reunion with her own child. She'd get paid to raise her own kid. She was going to lose her kid by dying if she kept it in the house. But having faith to send it down the Nile River, eventually she's going to get paid to be the nanny of her own baby. Boy, now that's a pretty good twist of fate. 
I'm getting paid to raise my own child. Ooh, that's a pretty, and that sounds pretty good. I wish to, I wish that we still had that in, in the world today. I get paid to take my own kids. We pay people to take. Them. Like it if you got paid to keep them. Huh. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? It's paid to keep. Them. But I've had the privilege of seeing what happens to a family. Orangeburg, where I used to serve. For years they have taken. It might be five. Mamas are in and out. Daddies are in and out. But finally the day comes. The court says they can proceed. I've got friends here in Charleston, Kenny and Lindsay, who I went to school with. Could never have a baby. Found a mother who was gonna young teenage girl got pregnant. Etc. They were on the list, further down the list, but some things happened. Somehow God promoted them to the top of the list. Called the night before she to court a couple days later, and after years of trying, they finally had a baby. Not the conventional way, but had a baby. I look at people like lot with us for VBS and other events I mean I'm not here to you know teach you tonight on social economic of race race and ethnicity but it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out he ain't he wasn't naturally conceived like that but he'd never know it and he waddles his little feet in here for VBSs and other things. And his daddy in behind him, and his mama's running around the property. He don't know that he don't look like him. He don't know that he's not one of them. He thinks that's mama. He thinks that's daddy. He thinks that's grandparents. He thinks that's his family. Can I tell you? That's how we are to God. We were should have been thrown out with the chaff, the chief, thrown away. God had every right to throw I got a perfect son. I don't need nothing else. I got angels. But anyway. What he did, he said, it so that even though many people might reject him, that there'd be some that could be adopted in the family of God and become part of his family. That we could sit in heaven one day with Jesus as heirs and joint heirs of the kingdom of heaven. I think I most of this. Tell you about a couple more problems that were ensued in this story, and then we're going to talk about the plague. on a high note today by saying this to the day you got saved you gave your heart to God you don't have
tear by or the prey by the pestilence because I got you from here. He who begins it's close to the mention of my name. I got you in the blood. I got you. I got you. So here's my challenge to you. So get ready. Is your face in or you? Or what? What problem you'll face this week? But I want to encourage you today, but there is a God who is greater than Pharaoh. And the enemy can pronounce all the death sentences he wants over your life. He can throw all tactics towards you all he wants. But you got your side. Jacobed operate in faith and you you take that bundle of joy, whatever it is God is and you just put living water. Push it in the in the river of if you just push it back towards heaven and just let it make a place. that you'll discover God will turn your problem into a Moses. Moses simply means I was drawn out. Meaning I might have got put in to this I might have been put in as a teetotal basket case. I'm falling apart at every scene. I'm crying. I'm belly aching. Mama's crying. Daddy's crying. Everybody's crying. In this situation, you might feel like I am the case. You might have went into the situation. Draw you a leader. You you'd see. You never could obtain. You might have been a basket. He's going to draw you out. And he's going to draw you out of this world. It's called the rapture. Out of this sin sick and state. And he's going to take you to a place called heaven where it doesn't have anything compared to Pharaoh's palace. You might be feeling like in this world you're a basket case. But when God draws you out of this place, you won't be a basket case anymore. You're going to be called a child of God. And you're going to live forever with Him. That's the hope of the church. As you stand, head bowed, eyes closed all over the house. We'll finish this message next Sunday night. Sunday morning, depending on Here's my prayer for you today. Not grow weary. But 
you still perfecter of your faith, Jesus. I know discovered of my life. God never fails. One thing God can't do, He can't fail. He just can't. It's against His nature. He can't fail. So if He can't fail, I can trust Him. To the very best of my word today, people of God, God, to paint a picture of Calvary, a picture of and the need of a Savior into a field, engaged world. God, let us be able to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. God, I pray for us, forgive us. Just and then change us. Father, when we leave this place, I don't know what needs we'll face, but I know and we believe that. Father, I pray today that as we go to and fro our destination, you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us. You be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts until we're able to come again into your presence. That will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name. Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. Before we're dismissed tonight with our benedictory prayer, those online, God bless you. Thank you for being with us and service tonight. Don't forget we have midweek Bible study at This morning I'll make as well. We have quite a few interest in becoming a Seventh, and let's here. People in every bit. Uh, what one did? I mean, maybe you haven't joined. All in entails. Talk to. Basically, it's about things. You believe what the the verbal inspiration, baptism, temple means meaning you're all, and you church when it's all said and done. You get those things right, pretty much. We're glad to have you. Welcome to. We'll see you next. If I can do it, you can do this thing together.
let us know. Uh, uh, let your connection team leader know, or which is either Brother Randy, Sister uh, Dale, uh, Sister Sandy, or Sister Ann, or you can let me make you that are going to be doing that. COVID-filled days is going to ask Brother Andy Hertzberg we're going to pray our benedictory prayer on the prayer. You can be consider yourself 